the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome again to the podcast. Welcome back. Um, I'm glad we're doing this movie. This is one of my favorite. Stand by me. One of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, it's one I grew up with, and it's all time. Yeah, one of your favorites. One of my of favorites all time. of all time. Yeah, and I think uh, I do love it a lot. I think uh, we can we're in agreement on maybe the best coming of age movie of all time. Yeah, there, there's, not that there's a lot of contenders. With well, that. I think. I mean, any any movie dealing with kids, I think you know you you always have some of that like a coming of age aspect usually. Um, but this one in particular, I'm affected every single time I watch it. This movie feels like to me. I've always kind of thought of it as like a road movie without the car. Yeah, like it's very it's much like an adventure movie, movie. On, fo- on foot. Um, so we'll talk about uh, Stand by Me. Um, what are what are some things we're going to talk about? Um, yeah, the cast for sure, for sure. Yeah, the cast. Stephen King, um, who's who's uh, responsible for the story. Um, let's see, Rob Reiner and his uh, who's the director. Um, his unique contributions to making this this movie work so well. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely the cast, uh, who I think play. I mean, not that. Actors are always important, of course. A movie can't happen without. But the, but you see in Stand by Me how important it is uh, in order for this movie to work. Yeah. The the cast of of actors that you so have. So many. I, I think it's like such rare to see, yeah, actors this young all giving mm-hmm. all playing off each other and giving such like genuine performances. Yeah, amazing. So we'll talk about that and then our picks of the week. Yeah, um, my pick this week is Silver Bullet. Silver Bullet. This is a, another Stephen King story, werewolf story. They don't get enough, you know, we don't talk enough about werewolves. Yeah. I like Silver Bullet. I'm really... Yeah. This is one that you picked that I'm, this week that I'm like really familiar with. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen it quite a few times. And your pick this week was, was big in my childhood. Explorers. Yeah. With a connection being River Phoenix, one of his early, early roles. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Stand By Me is one of his early roles. Sure. This is early, early. Mm-hmm. 85? Is 85, it? yeah. yeah. And uh, directed by Joe Dante, whom I just, I would say one of my one, one of my all-time favorite You directors. do love Joe Dante. I love Joe Dante. You do. So good. <laughs> um, so, and then, uh, as always, our Murray moment. And then uh, we've got a special guest again uh, back to the podcast. Can't wait to have him back. Uh, it's Just, wonderful. Justin Hayward, our friend and filmmaker from Chicago. And uh, he was, he did a segment for uh, Weird Science. Weird Science. And uh, the point of having Justin on the show is uh, to do a segment that kind of delves deeper into the technical aspects of filmmaking. Um, and he's going to break down the train sequence, how they shot the train sequence and Stand By Me. And I really enjoyed the segment he did for this week. I really loved it. Yeah. So we'll have that coming up uh, later. And uh, before we go to a clip for Stand By Me, Lindsay, can you familiarize us with the plot of this movie. I'd be happy to. Thank you. Um, so directed by Rob Reiner, 1986's Stand By Me is about a group of boys who set out kind of on this adventure to, in theory, find the body of this missing kid that they go to school with. Um, uh, along, you know, along their journey, this is kind of um, these kids are learning about themselves, relating to each other um, as best friends, and kind of delving a little bit, maybe deeper into who who they are as people. Won't spoil anything to when we get to the end, but um, it's very much a journey and such a strong coming of age story. Well, uh, we'll go to a clip from Stand by Me, and then we'll get into a discussion. Let's do Thanks it. Thanks for that uh, summary. I know the back Harlow Road. It comes to a dead end by the Royal River. The train tracks are right there. Me and my dad used to fish for Cossies out there. Jesus Christ, man. If they would have known you were under there, they would have killed you. Could he have gotten all the way from Chamberlain to Harlow? That's really far. Sure. 
He must have started walking on the train tracks and just followed them the whole way. Yeah. Yeah, right. And then after dark, train must have come along and I'll smack go. Yeah. Hey. Hey, you guys. I bet you anything that if we find him, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure. We'll be heroes. Yeah. So I guess to kick things off, the first thing I kind of want to talk about is uh, Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Um, Without him, this wouldn't exist. Yeah, it wouldn't exist. And I think it's a good thing to note that this is, at this point in time, this movie came out in, what, 86? Yes. At this point in time, there were several, several uh, film adaptations of of his works um, dating back to the late 70s. Sure. And I think that this, I mean, to me personally, I mean, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I think that De Palma's Carrie is like an extremely strong and well-made, craft, yeah. well-crafted movie. Yeah. Um, but for my money, I think that Stand By Me was like his best adaptation to date at that point. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't know if it's because it, it came from a non, because Supernatural. Yeah. Uh, standpoint. It was the first one, right? Of yeah, his, the very, yeah, yeah, first one that didn't deal with some sort of. I mean, certainly this film deals with like horror in a sense. There's, there's a know, dead body involved. Yeah, there's like you know sort of like sinister things afoot in this film. Yeah. But um, there's certain certainly not like supernatural powers or like a monster or like which is what Stephen King had been thought of f- forever. Yeah. Um, and I think, and this is like one of his short stories. And I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Stephen King fan, but I will say I'm a huge fan of his shorts. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they play really well. I think like his longer works, sometimes I get lost in the, uh, there's just so much detail going on and like, yeah. you know, th- the character's thoughts where this one, um, almost really feels like it just came, came to life. Like a lot of what's in the script is on the screen minus mm-hmm. uh, the main character of Chris um, has been swapped out for Gordy's character, which I believe was Rob Reiner's uh, yes. contribution and to I, the I, script. That was because Rob Reiner felt like he connected more with the Gordy Will Wheaton character. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was easier to tell that story from that point of view. Yeah. And um, I think too, I think from like an audience standpoint for a movie, you know, I think Gordy's going to be more identifiable to the masses yeah, than he's Chris a, would be. He's the the sweetest, most likable um, kid next door, boy next door type of thing. Yeah. Um, and this was a movie that I believe Stephen King was like extraordinarily happy with the way he this was move, this move, his work was adapted for this one. If I if I remember correctly, he he said that it was. Uh, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I watched a documentary on this, and he said at the time that he felt it was the most successful adaptation of of any of his works to to screen. And I I don't know if we'll get to this later, but like there's a little um, change that happens towards the end of the script that actually made um, Stephen King happier the way that Rob Reiner saw it. Oh, okay. Um. Uh, I can go into this if you want. Do it. Go for it. Uh, well, the um, the there's a there's a final scene where the boys actually do find the dead body of this boy that they've been searching for, and um, they're confronted by this older boy gang uh, that's headed by Kiefer Sutherland, and um, the like the the Kiefer Sutherland gang is trying to take credit for finding the body and like gonna go report it to the cops and and you know our heroes our four boys that we've been on this quest with um are like hey man we've we we sought this out ourselves this is us like we're we're claiming stake for this which is kind of like weird by itself like, but we, we did the, we put in we put in, <laughs> we the, put in the footwork man you guys drove yeah, here yeah um which is uh, an aside um but the in the novella uh stephen king's like or, original writing it's the kind of um more not gruff but like the assumed tougher character of river phoenix's character that pulls the gun out and is like no man this is us this is like we're doing this but in the movie version 
Um, like we already said, like Rob Reiner wanted the story to kind of focus on Gordy, the Will Wheaton character. And, um, it's Gordy who pulls the gun out and he's the, we've been going through so much of the, the whole movie with him, um, going through a lot of emotional struggles and it's him that finally has the gumption and defends his friends and are like, you guys back off actually. And, um, it was, um, something that Stephen King said that he hadn't really thought of when writing it. Yeah. And then when it happened, he was like, oh my God, that's such a better ending actually, which I think is completely cool for Rob Reiner. Yeah. (laughs) And, and really thinking about it, there is that moment in that scene where Will Whedon, Gordy's character has the gun and Kiefer Sutherland says something along the lines of like, you know why don't you put that gun away you know don't hurt yourself kid mm-hmm. and because Kiefer Sullen doesn't believe that he's actually he, gonna yeah do he's anything. got the gumption to do it but yeah. then uh but then we in it, we as an audience have seen that Gordy kind of feels like he he doesn't have a lot to lose because of his connection with his family has been sort of yeah r- really deteriorated um but then there he you know he they sort of cut to this look and then you you we cut back to Kiefer Sullen and Gordy pulls like the handle on or the the he hammer, it, yeah, yeah. He cocks it, and uh, and Kiefer Sullen's like, yeah, he's he's for real. He he might pull the trigger, on yeah. This one. And we, <laughs> we, I believe it too, you know, as an audience. Yeah. So I do think, yeah, I think with Chris, it's like that would have been like what you would think would happen. Like mm-hmm. the toughest kid out of the group is is going to get him out of the situation, but maybe like talk tough, you know. But um, with Gordy's like sort of the wild card, and it it's it's one of the aspects that makes the story much more endearing really is that you have the quiet meek character that's finding his strength within um that's actually the one that like yeah that ends it yeah i think it makes for a more satisfying it does conclusion yeah it does um and if i remember it's been a while since i've read the short story which i did enjoy mm-hmm. a lot uh the short story the body mm-hmm. um if i remember correct in the movie the gang catches up with them like few weeks later and like breaks their arms or like shoot it gets really like rough um so this one kind of ends on a different different sure glad the movie does not end like that yeah Yeah. uh because he because in the movie he says you know this isn't this isn't over this isn't over and and, in the book it kind of gets pretty brutal like they they find him on they're like walking down the street like two weeks later yeah and this was really for rob reiner really sort of the I mean, he was on fire there for a pretty good while, and I think mm-hmm. this was like one of the movies that sort of catapulted him into director of actors, director of uh, bigger budgeted movies that had, uh, I would say, like the genre of like the adult drama. Yeah. Um, and you know, the actors have mentioned like you know he's the actors' director. He's like that yeah. person that came from the side of acting first and knows what actors need knows where where what they need what their vulnerable sides are and he can facilitate that he can just discuss that um and not have the movie fall so much on the the technical side or the mechanics and i think that that can completely change a movie a lot um i mean of course every director differs but when you have one that is more focused on the technical aspects and following everything to the letter um versus a director that's thinking about it from an actor's point of view yeah and are like how is this character going to actually react to this situation versus maybe what the script says like how can we amend that yeah or how can we play to this character's strength and really think about how that they're going to react i think that having a it seems to me that having a director that has been an actor and rob reiner i mean he he was very much an established actor before this um I think that that adds a whole new layer to it that really plays into the overall feel of Stand By Me, which is just um, you really feel like you know these kids and you you or or you want to know them, um, but you really identify with it. And he makes them um, he makes you just care about them. Yeah, 
All right, well, uh, we'll go to another clip, and then we'll come back. We'll talk about the cast of this film. We're going to talk about River Phoenix. We have to. Yeah, we have to. Yeah. And uh, the, the cast of this movie um, is really what makes it. So we'll go to a clip of uh, of the uh, kids here doing a, doing a scene, and then we'll, we'll talk about them. Right on. You get a flip or not? Come on, Vern, we don't have all day. You lose, Gordy. <laughs> Gordy loses. Oh, Gordy just screwed the pooch. <laughs> Does the word retarded mean anything to you? <laughs> Gordy, go get the provisions, you morphodite. Don't call me any of your mother's pit names. <laughs> what a wet end you are, Lachance. Shut up. I don't shut up. Shut up. I, I grow up. up. And, and when, when I look at you, I throw up. <laughs> and then your mother goes around the corner and she licks it up. Oh. Finding new and preferably disgusting ways to degrade a friend's mother was always held in high So we'll jump right into the cast. Uh, we've got um, Jerry O'Connell portraying Vern, uh, Will Whedon portraying the main character of Gordy Lachance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got uh, well, Corey, Corey, Feldman. Corey Feldman, Teddy Teddy Champ. Duchamp. And, oh, I'm sorry, Teddy Duchamp. I forgot he's he's French. <laughs> he's French. Um, I said it was French. <laughs> and uh, finally, um, River Phoenix as the as Chris Chambers. I think they all do a wonderful job. I think they play off each other really well. I know that Rob Reiner did like weeks of rehearsals with them, and yeah, just there's scene scene after scene where I just feel like. It's so real, and they mm-hmm. feel like they're really friends. Um, and I appreciate the fact that this is, to me, one of the few films that involves kids that I feel like is relatable to adults. Like, I can still, at this age, get very into this movie, um, but they're younger than high school, and I think that's a huge thing. I think most movies, yeah. the coming-of-age story is like focused on kids in high school, um, but I do think that this 12 and 13 year old age is, you know, more detrimental to like, you know, where you feel like your memories or your shaping of yeah. friendships began or your, you know, your, your, the foundation of who were your morals or your characters lie. And I think this movie does a really good job of that. And I think that these, these kids really did an outstanding job, um, altogether. And I think that even through the story, that exact um, feeling is, is demonstrated in the story that we have the Richard Dreyfus narrator character that's reflecting on all of this and saying that exact thing, that there is nothing stronger than the bond that he created with with these guys um, at this point in age and, and you know, kept up... Um, not really like a long lasting relationship with him into adulthood. Maybe saw the Chris Chambers character 10 years prior um, to him retelling the story. Um, but that there was nothing that he had felt was uh, more of a bonding um, instance in life than that time that he shared with these kids. And I think that that's, that's something that I can even say about myself when I was around this age, that, that there are some kids that, I formed friendships with around that time that I could not talk to them for 25 years. Some of them I haven't talked to for 25 years and I could still, I bet I could still revisit them and relate to them. Um, just like, just like it was yesterday. And I think that all of that has to do with that when you're this age, like you were saying pre high school, um, I think that there is just something that is so honest and you are still forming who you are that there's always going to be something that connects you to those people that you formed a bond with like no matter how old you are yeah i mean like high school reunions exist for a reason right and it's because like you grew up with these kids years before um and you Uh, can still like maybe not all the time but like with the people that you liked around that time um you know of your uh, formative years I think that you can still go back to that and find a common ground or see that person that you that you know on a level that really like they don't know anybody else like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like sort of like this moment in history that you Yeah. um somebody was there 
you know what I mean? Like someone like mm-hmm. experienced it with you. This movie feels very authentic and subtle and and bold. It doesn't it doesn't feel forced in any way. And probably a lot of that like has to do with these actors. Um, Rob Reiner kind of choosing these actors um, based on, you know, who they were actually as a person. So that, you know, um, Will Wheaton really fit the character of Gordy because Rob Reiner could see a lot of Gordy in him. Yeah. Or even like the Corey Feldman character, like he could see a lot of Corey Feldman's inner angst like within him as a person. Um, I, I think one of the funniest things I've heard Rob Reiner talk about is um, Jerry O'Connell coming into his audition and he said he just like immediately Im- embodied like this weird, awkward, goofy uh, Vern character and even down to the like, hey, hey, aren't you that guy from that show? Right. <laughs> you know, just calling yeah. him out and like not being intimidated by Rob Reiner, this movie director, but just being like, hey, aren't you that guy? Which yeah. is exactly the character of Vern. Uh, I think the kids play off each other really well with their yeah. like, picking on each other. Yeah. Um, this sort of sense of like, there's always like a rivalry or something, you know, when you're growing up. And I think these yeah. guys, the like with Vern just being so goofy with the two for flinching, you know, and <laughs> yeah. everybody's got their own place, you know, yeah. like everyone has their own moments of strength. But I do think that uh, the movie allows each actor to give a moment of true sincerity and, and really show their acting Sincerely. chops. Sorry, Sincerely. I, yeah. I couldn't help but do yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I always think of like when I'm explaining something to someone, it's like, <laughs> I feel like that there's that, like that Vern part of like, no, sincerely guys. Like, For those of you who yeah. who don't know the character of Vern, Jerry O'Connell, he, he, if he's saying them something very earnest and honest, he'll always end it with being like, sincerely, sincerely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no guys, really. It's, you know, I, I think that, um, yeah, everybody does a great job, but I, I, I it's hard for me not to like zero in on River Phoenix who yeah um out of all these actors like went on to have a very amazing career cut short sadly but like um r- really is is an incredible actor i mean mm-hmm. i think i w- would today be considered you know yeah one of the, one of the greats um i think he's is considered one of the greats even though yeah i think know, so he, he and uh, in and in his life, I think he was perceived as somewhat of a peacemaker. Like he came from kind of like a hippie family and vegetarian and like very like Zen like. And um, in Stand by Me, he is the peacemaker. Um, yeah, and he uh, he, he has this sor- sort of like subtle strength. And I think mm-hmm. that I remember. I mean, I, I remember even watching this as a kid and thinking like, oh man, like to have a best friend like Chris, you Ugh, know, yeah, would be right? like amazing. You know, this guy who's not afraid of anything, but also not afraid to like show his emotions. Yeah, you know totally. What I mean? And I think that, uh, I think River Phoenix has displayed that in like multiple roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and this movie, I think was like one of the first that really, he had dialed that in, you know, so to such to such yeah. a point to such a degree where I mean you just cared so much about his place and in, in their friendship and, and his future as well which I think makes uh the ending of the film where because the, the end of the, uh, the ending of the film is hearsay you know we just hear Rob right. or uh I'm sorry not Rob Reiner uh Richard Dreyfus yeah saying in narration like what happened to Chris that he died in a trying to stop a fight but it hits so hard the impact because um, and we and we haven't been given any information of him as an adult other than that we haven't seen visually seen him as an yeah. adult in the film um but just this reflection on his character uh we can see it you know like it's it's better to have it in your imagination than for them to show chris or any of these guys as an adult as an adult that we only see yeah. gordy richard dreyfus's character as an adult i think is is interesting um, because it leaves it up to our own imagination and yeah, um, makes for an extremely strong ending, a great ending for this film, I believe. Ugh, yeah, it. Uh, I can never leave this movie uh, without being in some tears, honestly. Yeah. And it's uh, not because of something like horrendous that happens that we see. It's it's strictly the story. Yeah, 
how it well, plays out. Yeah, because it's almost like um, we see that Richard Dreyfus has kids now, and it's sort of like yeah. he's he's revisiting this chapter, and now he has kids that are the age he was, um, and he's revisiting this chapter of his life, mm-hmm. um, which is something you know it's interesting. It's it's I, I think this is a movie where you watch it and you're entertained, but at the same time, it'll spark some memories of your own childhood, you know? And I think yeah. that the, it's, there's few movies that'll do that. I mean, some movies will make you feel sad or make you feel happier or make you, you know, you can watch a movie and be like, oh, I'm going to call my mom after that movie. But, um, <laughs> this is a, this, you know, the, I think this is one of the few films where it kind of makes you think back about being a, being a kid and being a goofball or, Completely. you know, dealing with some sort of situation that seemed like so epic, but in, it, you know, you think back now, it's like, oh, it was so small. You know, I mean, it was such an innocent time or whatever. Yeah. No, there there are countless ways in which um, this movie makes me think back to my childhood of, like, being the kid sister to my brother who was eight years older than I was and palling around with he, he and his friends that were that much older than I was and going on bike adventures. Like, Stand By Me totally makes me think of that. Um, yeah, this movie really pulls it out. Yeah. Um. You know, I think we kind of hit on this a little bit before. Um, I don't want it to get lost that like the camaraderie and friendship um, that we see in this movie. Um, you know, you said that they did have weeks of rehearsing um, and that I think it's important to note, too, that the, these kids were really, you know, they were super young and that they thought that they were just getting together and hanging out and getting to know each other. Um, and they were. Um, but Rob Reiner's intention behind all of this was to really get that feeling of like, these guys actually really do like each other, that they are friends and that they didn't realize until like two or three weeks or maybe even, um, like years later, but that they were actually like doing a lot of theater games that they were interacting with each other, um, on a friend level, but also like relating to each other as actors Being like schooled in that yeah in that sense and i think rob reiner was pretty sneaky um in doing that because he made he made these guys into these characters that like they didn't really need too much uh you know ushering into yeah. but um i think rob reiner is is extreme i mean he's he's totally responsible for creating these characters or helping these kids to become the characters that they are in the movie um, I know we're, we're, we're getting short on time here. Um, I wanted to just quickly say a little bit more about River Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I love River Phoenix. I think he's done, you know, s- some great films, some great performances. This being one of my favorites, but I wanted to just say, well, what are, what are your favorite River Phoenix movies, um, performances? There's quite a few. I would say the one that sticks out the most to me is this movie called Dogfight. Uh, I can't really remember. It was the early '90s. Um, Is when that the I, one where he's in the army, or he's in the army, and he and a group of dudes, uh, army dudes, um, seek out to kind of like seduce the or like befriend the ugliest girl they can find, which is Lily Taylor. And I was like super into a Lily Taylor phase for a while. Um, anyway, it's um, it is a very heartwarming movie. Uh, and the relationship that happens between he and Lily Taylor, just two actors that I have always loved. Um, yeah, uh, hands down, Dogfight's one of my favorites. Mosquito Coast oh, is also a great, great one too. You and I have talked about yeah, Mosquito Coast. I feel Coast. like we have to do that eventually. We might have podcast. to. Yeah, that's a, it's such a great film. Yeah, and 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 that's one when he's you know when he's younger too. I'm not at all trying to say like he's better at a certain time uh, in his career or anything. I mean, it was such a short-lived... I mean, it wasn't a short-lived career. It was it was over 10 years. Yeah, it wasn't like a James yeah. Dean yeah, sort of... Yeah, it wasn't of, just one movie. But, but uh, let's... Um, before we go to our pick of the weeks, um, we, uh, again, have our special guest, Justin Hayward, coming to us from Chicago. Justin... Uh, again, I love his insights on film. Um, I think what he brings to the podcast is a little more of a really more technical side 
it's of so filmmaking. much fun though um, I love it yeah it's 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 you know he talks a little bit more about the technical aspects of film but like also in a relatable and entertaining way so I think he's gonna break down how they shot the train sequence and yeah yeah look forward to look forward to that and we hope you enjoy it as well so we'll hear from Justin Hayward and then uh, after that um, we'll go to our picks of the week sounds good so take it away Justin Stand By Me is a childhood favorite of mine, but I'm not sure I saw it so many times when I was technically not allowed to watch rated R movies when I was a kid. Nevertheless, even though it's set in a specific time and place, it's a timeless film that holds up beautifully. The scene I want to dive into today is the famous train dodge sequence. Earlier in the movie, Corey Feldman's character Teddy wants to dodge a train for the thrill of it, but River Phoenix's character Chris stops him before he acts out this terribly dangerous fantasy. Ironically, later in the movie, it's Teddy that convinces the gang to take a shortcut across an enormous bridge which leads the kids to a real train dodge that puts all their lives in serious danger. At the point they decide to cross the bridge, none of the kids know when the last train came through or when the next train is supposed to arrive, so they are crossing at their own serious risk. Once they're in the middle of the bridge, if a train comes, they have three bleak options. One, they can jump to their certain death because this bridge is about as high above a river as a railroad bridge can get above a river. Two, they can get run over. Or three, try to outrun a train to the other side of the bridge. As a dad of three little ones, I want to wring these kids' necks for being so stupid, but I think that was probably the reaction director Rob Reiner hoped to get from guys like me. So, they cross, train comes, they run for their lives, and dodge the freaking thing by the skin of their teeth. I'm clutching the arm of my chair every time I watch it, and I've watched it a lot. These days, filmmakers shooting a scene like this would put the kids on a treadmill in front of a green screen and create the whole thing digitally from top to bottom. But in 1986, directors didn't have those kinds of resources. So in this case, Reiner employed three visual effect techniques to pull off the incredible stunt. First, he shot a thing called rear projection, which is exactly what it is. He filmed the train and projected the film of the train on a large screen behind the actors. Then he filmed the actors in the foreground with the train projected behind them, along with simple sets to match the projection. It's a technique that's been used throughout film history. Think of the driving sequence in Hitchcock's Psycho, where Janet Lee is driving with the stolen money. The background movement doesn't match the movement of the car because it was obviously shot in two different times and combined for one shot. The Zucker Brothers actually spoofed bad rear projection in their movie Airplane when Robert Stack's character is driving to the airport and the background is whipping all over the place, even hitting a kid on a bike while Stack's character acts like he's driving as smooth as can be. The nostalgic filmmakers like Quentin Tarantino used it for a retro feel like in Pulp Fiction where Bruce Willis's character Butch talks to the taxi driver after he threw the big fight. That said, the rear projection in this Stand By Me train sequence is done about as well as it can be done. The second technique is filming the entire sequence in an extreme high-angle wide shot from a helicopter and putting stunt doubles on the track that run in front of the real train. Nothing particularly innovative, but it is pretty much inevitably necessary for a scene like this. The third technique is the one that I want to talk about. The kids running from the train, shot on a 900mm lens. There are two kinds of film lenses in general. One is a zoom lens and the other is a prime lens. We all know what a zoom lens is. You start at a wide angle and zoom into a tighter angle or vice versa. A popular zoom lens used today starts at about 25mm and zooms into about 250mm. That's a big range. For some practical and some stylistic reasons, a handful of directors would rather shoot prime lenses over zooms. A prime lens is a fixed focal length lens, so if you're shooting on a 25mm prime lens and you want to go tighter without moving the camera in, you can't just zoom. You have to switch to a tighter prime lens like say a 35mm. Want to go tighter? Gotta change the lens again. Most people consider a 40mm lens to be the closest to how our eyes see, so no wide-angle distortion like looking through your peephole and no telephoto compression which I'll explain in a minute. If a director wants to only use prime lenses, the typical package is an 18mm, 25mm, 35mm, 50mm, 85mm, and maybe 100mm, and then a few specialty lenses, like in the case of Stand By Me, a 900mm lens. You've all heard of a fisheye lens. It's like looking through a peephole of an apartment door. It's such an extreme wide angle that it distorts everything. People's noses look bigger and their ears look farther away. And someone standing only a few feet away from the door can look like they're all the way down the hall. An 8mm lens or a 14mm lens can give this effect. Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. On the flip side of that coin, when you start using tighter lenses than a 40mm, you start to get the opposite effect. 
the image gets compressed so that the background seems closer and closer to the foreground depending on how tight your lens is. Think of a baseball game on TV. When we get that shot behind the pitcher looking at the hitter as he gears up, it seems they're exactly the same size, even though the hitter is about 60 feet further away from the camera than the pitcher is. The reason is the camera is way off field and zoomed way in, which compresses the image and makes the two players look like they're right next to each other. Remember, a good zoom lens these days goes to about 250 millimeters, and a typical prime lens package goes to about 100 millimeters. After that, you have to rent specialty lenses. So when Reiner wanted the train to look like it was directly behind Gordy and Vern as they run for their life, but shooting practically without rear projection, he got himself a 900mm lens. That way, if he put the camera far enough down the track and lined up a medium shot of the two kids, the train could probably be a half a mile away from them, but the compression will make it look like it's nipping at their heels. And it works beautifully. The train looks humongous behind them, and it feels like they'll be crushed at any second. Reiner was smart not to use rear projection for this shot because the difference in contrast between the kids and the train would be too obvious and it would look fake. This was the perfect solution and it was a critical piece to achieving the terrifying result that we got. Uh, so again, that is Justin Hayward. Um, director out of Chicago, dear friend of mine, and uh, now a, uh, I think, a great contributor to our podcast. Yeah, we, I love it when he go. has a segment. Um, so thank you so much, Justin, for for your help and um, insight. Taking, t- yeah, insight and taking the time to to do that piece. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, so we're going to move on to our picks of the week. Uh, again, I picked Explorers. Lindsay, you picked. Silver Bullet, can you tell me a little bit about, uh, so why was this your pick of the week? And tell us a little bit about Silver Bullet. Of course. Werewolf film. Oh, Silver Bullet. Um, So it um, was made in 1985. Um, It fits in with other monster movies of the time, like heavy on the, you know, synth music tracks following uh, one kid or a group of kids around as they figure out a mystery or, you know, solving murders like what we were made to believe kids did in the 80s was something that was totally possible i mean at least me i thought that um so uh silver bullet is pretty much a straightforward horror movie um that has a lot packed into it it's visually impressive um has a lot of werewolf uh attack special effects and transformations um, an unsuspecting hero town mob scenes which i'm always a fan of town town mob scenes um, it also has a lot of off-kilter humor and even a double meaning in the movie title, which is always fun. What could it be? I don't know. Hmm. Um, like Stand By Me, uh, Silver Bullet is also based on a Stephen King novella that's called uh, The Cycle of the Werewolf. Um, and although he uh, King did do the screenplay himself and had a significant uh, amount of creative influence over the film, there was a fair amount of, um, of subject matter that was changed from the novella to the film version. Um, this isn't intended to be like a funny horror movie. It almost has a similar vibe um, as uh, 1982's Creepshow, another uh, movie that had a lot of um, Stephen King's um, talents invested in it, whether it's writing or acting. Um, uh, but, but, um, Silver Bullet is pure entertainment, uh, rather than depending on jump scares. Um, that's not to say that the werewolf attack scenes, um, aren't a little more visually disturbing than you actually might expect. Um, upon revisiting this, I was like, damn, okay, that was real good, but that was a little more, there's some child violence, like, I, I gotta respect a movie with child violence because not every movie's doing that. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's a step above animal violence. It is. Um, for me, personally. Me as, me as <laughs> I mean, well, I would say, you know, even if it wasn't pet for me, owners I'd over say, here. I'd say, well, <laughs> um, kids are more important than pets. You know, the disclaimer. Um, yet again, this Stephen King 
retelling makes us uh, heavily care about the lead characters. Uh, and Corey Haim, who's the other half of the Corys, we have Corey Feldman and Stand By Me, and Corey Haim is the other half of that. Um, he plays the lead in Silver Bullet, um, accompanied by his very sweet sister, Megan Follows. Um, and not to be outdone, in a great and somewhat used for comedic, comedic relief, um, the only adult, their uncle, um, who believes them in this movie is played by Gary Busey. Um, I think it, one of my favorite Gary Busey roles. Um, okay, so Silver Bullet may tread on the border of like, is this good or not? Um, but it's, I feel like it's a uniquely engaging werewolf uh, movie with an unsuspecting culprit who turns out to be the wolf. Um, I also love that Haim's character is not a typical typical hero um, and that the just the the obviousness that he is disabled and in a wheelchair um but he's such a little badass he's so brave and smart and an absolute trooper a total hero um throughout the story and i just i love that aspect of his character it might be in like an easy thing to play off of but um cory Haim really sells it I like Corey Haim as an actor, and I thought he he really sold this role really well. Yeah, me too. I, I think this is one of those movies that when people, I mean, there's like you said, very few werewolf films. Yeah. Um, that haven't been, been made much less successful. Yeah. Um, but I do feel like this is one that always kind of gets missed on those. You know, people yeah. always reference American Werewolf in London, or they reference. Uh, that's really the only movie ever ever anybody <laughs> well, referenced. The only I mean I I might talk about the howling. Gin, yeah, you know. the howling. I might reference Ginger Snaps in future podcasts. We'll get to that. It's a good one as well. Ugh, yeah. love Ginger Snaps for so many um, reasons. But I think I think uh, Silver Bullet is a worthy um, addition is. to the werewolf genre. The yeah. small, condensed werewolf genre. Yeah, and with this one, I would say that it goes. Um, it goes hand in hand with movies like Monster Squad or Fright Night, actually, um, just in the sense that it's this um, figuring out a mystery. Um, like we know we know who the evildoer is and we're going to figure right. it out, whether it's a high school kid or, or whether it's some like middle school kids figuring out the mystery. Like for some reason, it's the magic of the 80s yeah. that kids are the ones that can actually solve the crime. Right. But yeah, Silver Bullet is, um, it's really fun. And Corey Haim is always adorable, which is an extreme selling point for me. Yeah. Um, but as far as werewolf movies go, yeah, uh, Silver Bullet, two thumbs up for sure. I'm into it. Yeah. I really enjoy that movie. It's one I always go to. And and I like your term. I think this fits into your the term you use horror light. It's very horror light. Yeah. Like th- there, there are some, uh, like I said, werewolf attack scenes that are a little like, Ooh, dang, that was okay. All right. Good, good job. Good job there. That was, uh, effective. But you know, I think this is one of those movies, like if you have kids and you're like, you're gearing them up for the horror film, this is one, this one's safe. You know I mean? This is like one to, yeah. to, to ease I, them into the horror genre. I can't remember if it was PG 13 or R. I can't think of a reason that it would be R. There's probably some swears. And like probably. But, but by today's, it's probably nothing you wouldn't see on no. television now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Silver Bullet, um, I, I would say, is is safe for, you know, adolescent kids. Um, it is horror light, um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worthy either. Yeah. Uh, I would also call Fright Night horror light, too. I don't think that it's like yeah, an intense too. slasher yeah, movie. Yeah. Um, Anyway, okay, I've talked forever now about it's Silver fine. Bullet. Tell me about The Explorers, the Justin. The Explorers. Yes. Uh, the Explorers uh, also came out in 1985. Okay. And it also revolved around a group of kids. Well, no. much like Stand By Me revolves around a group of kids. Yeah. Uh, uh, River Phoenix playing a much diff- almost an opposite role, or really an opposite role. He's so role. cute in he's, glasses. He's so he's dreamy. basically playing like this sort of... Uh, nerdy scientist type uh and also stars a very young ethan hawk who's like the straight character and befriends this sort of the cool kid loner Mm -hmm. and explorers is it's it's a little all over the map at times i mean there's a lot of stuff left unexplained you know it plays a lot with dreams and you have they have a dream and there's this 
orb that they create, then they build a ship. The orb. They, oh my god. They build I a ship. The they build this little yes. bitty ship. Uh, <laughs> you know, and it's very eighties in the sense, you know, there's a montage, they're building this ship yeah. um that they dub uh, Thunder Road, um, from the Bruce Springsteen <laughs> song. And uh yeah. they fly over the drive in and there's references to the movie that's playing on the drive in and they eventually go to meet these aliens and that's where the movie kind of takes this like strange turn it's like referencing science fiction films of the past Mm -hmm. but they meet these aliens and the aliens just keep referencing all this television stuff because the only thing that they know about humans is what they've watched on tv they they communicated with these kids they wanted these kids to meet them because they were scared of adults because it turns out these aliens are kids themselves Mm -hmm. um not to spoil anything for you but this is a very it's a very it's a very um it is a kid's film. I mean, it's, it's yeah. it, as an adult, it's not, I don't think if I had some nostalgia growing up on it, I probably wouldn't appreciate it as much as I do now. Like every Joe Dante movie uh, has a, this one actually has a more significant role by Dick Miller, who is a character actor that I absolutely adore. Yeah. And uh, he's always has some role in a Joe Dante film here, you know, even if it's a very tiny, but he has a little bit bigger role in this. But it, yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun film. It's worth checking out. Um, really early performance by River Phoenix, Nathan Hawk, both actors that I really uh, love a lot. I'm not. I've never really been a huge science fiction fan, and this is one of those movies that doesn't play so hard hard on the well, it's science sci-fi. Fiction. It plays more on the fun of being a kid and like trying to explore. The, hence the title. Yeah, science fiction and kids especially during that time period it kind of uh it it isn't just a science fiction movie it's a little something more than that or like crosses genres um and makes it more more than just about aliens or something like that but in the theme of uh this podcast of all these movies i think all three of these movies that we've discussed are good movies for that kids would enjoy Mm-hmm. Um, um, and the Explorers and Silver Bullet. Yes. Um, so we are, wow, I didn't realize yeah, we're, how long we went this time. We're super long this time. It's okay. I think uh, let's just get right into it. This is your Murray moment. Chicks dig me. Because I rarely wear underwear, and when I do, it's usually something unusual. I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna come and shake my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. Justin, as you know, um, Richard Dreyfus was in Stand By Me, and uh, he was also in a well-known Bill Murray favorite, What About Bob? But did you know that um, Dreyfus was not the biggest fan of his co-star, our beloved Billy? I don't know if you knew that. I, I, this is the first time you've mentioned something that I that <laughs> I, that I have I've, I've read about uh, this. Okay, okay, okay. Um, so... Multiple sources can confirm, although no clear big blowout type incident um, has been discussed publicly, or at least I haven't been able to find one as of yet. Um, So Frank Oz's uh, film, What About Bob, was um, an irritatingly funny, intentionally grating film in which Billy plays a constantly in crisis patient who desperately needs and is obsessed with his therapist, which is Richard Dreyfuss. Um, so he stalks down his therapists, his therapist and his family while they're on vacation and him inserts himself into their family. Um, I love this movie, but it's honestly very trying to watch at times because of just how obnoxious Billy is in this role. It's impressive how 
friggin' obnoxious he is. This is one that I did not appreciate when I was younger. I believe but it. I've watched in the last five years <laughs> and actually have enjoyed. Yeah. But I remember when I was younger, I was just like, I can't deal with this. Yeah, you can't deal with it because he's terrible. But I think it's, an, it's very much an adult thing that you're, you're like, wow, this guy is over the top. Yeah. Um, all right, so um, Billy really gave himself permission to constantly annoy the holy hell out of Richard Dreyfus. He said that the character of Bob was really liberating because he just let there not be any uh, limit of the amount of psychological problems that his character could have. Um, but this was a complete and total nightmare for Richard Dreyfus and um, the character, of course, but also the man himself. Um, it turns out he didn't really appreciate um, Billy's method of acting or finding his character and wasn't amused at all. Um, there are many interviews where Dreyfus and there are multiple variations of the same complaints about his experience with Billy where he's talked about this. Um, there's a 2009 um, interview with the AV Club, the website, entertainment website AV Club, um, where he talks about his experience uh, with Billy. So he says, what about Bob? It was a funny movie, terrible, unpleasant experience. Billy and I, uh, Bill Murray and I didn't get along. I've got to give it to him. I don't like him, uh, but he makes me laugh even now. I'm also jealous that he's a better golfer than I am. It's still a funny movie, no one, but no one ever comes up to me and says, I really identify with a the patient. They always say, I have patients like that. I identify with your character. No one ever says they're willing to identify with the other character, that being Bill Murray's character, Bob. Um, a few years later, um, in many other interviews, Dreyfus actually called Billy a despicable pig, a schmuck, and a drunk Irish bully. Um, it's a little harsh. Yeah, and these are all, these are separate instances too. Jeez. <laughs> Um, each time he mentions Billy, he always talks about how Billy's a much better golfer than he is, how he makes him laugh, but he still vehemently hates the man. Um, on Billy's end of this, he's totally admitted that he took great pleasure in annoying Dreyfus. Uh, it seemed to happen really naturally, um, and that he could really get into the character of Bob. And the more that he did it, the better that he thought the movie was going to be. Billy would intentionally get super, super close um, up in Dreyfus's like personal space, like getting really close and screaming into his ear, laying his head on his shoulder, and just about anything else that Dreyfus might find annoying, Billy totally did it. Frank Oz um, said that the tension during the film um, was a result um, some of the tension anyway was a result of like too many cooks in the kitchen thinking um, uh, what would be best for the script um, and on ways to improve the script. Um, he said um, that the acting and like different opinions, um, it caused a lot of friction and tension, um, but he thought that it caused the movie to actually be better. And Billy agreed. Um, he thought that the obvious tension between he and Dreyfus only served to enhance their performances. Um, Billy even told Entertainment Weekly that Richard Dreyfus and I, we didn't get along on the movie particularly at all, but it worked. I mean, I drove the man nuts, but he encouraged me to drive him nuts. I will say too, um, just as a little aside, that it is not exactly uncommon that Richard Dreyfus has been referred to as somewhat difficult to work with and and has somewhat of of an ego um he is a great actor i'm never gonna say he's not i think the man's a great actor but um well, i think this dates all the way back to jaws with robert shaw it he sure not, as heck does along with robert shaw it early sure, in his career very early on and there's a lot of stories with jaws too um anyway yes the man is notoriously has a little bit of, of an ego. Um, but however you slice it, um, the level to which um, Bob really gets under um, Dr. Leo Marvin's skin is epically impressive. Um, it's something obvious upon rewatching What About Bob? And I have to say, knowing this information and rewatching the movie now, it makes it even more enjoyable because you know the emotional fatigue that's happening during the movie is actually real. 
Um, and for some reason, seeing Richard Dreyfus lose his mind over Billy driving him over the edge and knowing that this is real, um, I can't help but cringe, but it also makes me laugh even harder. I don't know. I don't know about you, Justin, um, but it makes me, uh, uh, knowing this information, um, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of just want to poke Richard Dreyfus a little bit more actually after this. I can understand how it would be frustrating, but then again, a lot of great films of performances have come out of that style. Yeah. So I can't uh, begrudge Bill Murray, but I can certainly commiserate with Richard Dreyfus. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can definitely identify with Richard Dreyfus, but I think that understanding what I do know about Bill Murray, um, this idea of just being given free reign to irritate the holy hell out of someone because it is your character. I could see him taking like the, the most amount of uh, liberty with that. I'm sure he loved every second of it. Well, thank you again for uh, another Murray moments. Of course. Um, so we're running pretty long today in our podcast, but that's okay. Um, my final thought on, uh, stand by me sincerely. One of my favorite, sincerely. one of my favorite movies. I just, is so much, I just, I love everything about from start to finish. Yeah. There's no moment going on that, that I don't love about stand by me. So, yeah. um, thanks for listening to that discussion. Uh, I want to say a big thanks to Justin Hayward for, putting this together um really love that piece he's justin's uh he he's a real talent and i think he he's got three kids and it's he it, it for him to find time i appreciate the time it takes him to to write these and and, it, and record them and cut it and send it to us you pack so much information yeah. into it and but you're, you're hooked and you follow it the whole time it's so enjoyable yeah. to listen to i uh i feel like you know me and justin went to film school together and way back in the day and I feel like he packs more in a five minute segment (laughs) than I probably learned in like a semester any instructor did I don't know what that says about me at that time in my life or the school (laughs) I went to but whatever you know but thank you so much Justin for yeah thank you putting that segment together so next podcast we are going to be doing RoboCop which is another one that I'm I've been kind of curious to do I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. I think this there's a lot to be discussed with RoboCop it's a a lot of social commentary I think is like really relevant for so much it, it it feels like strangely very relevant to to today's time period and I mean that was you know 35 years ago is that right something yeah like something that. like that and I want to say like at the time I it's strange because yeah I, we'll get into it next next podcast yeah. but it's just it, it's one of those movies yeah it's just like it you watch it now and you're like, man, this doesn't even feel heavy handed now and it feels more relevant. It's, it's <laughs> wacky. It's just, yeah, it's, I was, it's, it's a, it's a, it was wild rewatched, you know, it's just been one that I'm excited to dig into. I was happy to revisit this because I don't think it would be one that I would have on my own. I've definitely seen a, a lot growing up, but um, I was super happy to revisit this. Yeah. Looking forward to the So that'll be discussion. good. So we've got Robocop coming up. Um, I wanted to make, this is something that I haven't really brought up on the podcast we haven't really talked about but our listeners we have, yeah our listeners which i mean i know we thank you but we are able to with the hosts that we use um are able to track a little bit of you know what states are listening and yeah we're not I, like we, tracking your address right, or anything. right. but just... i appreciate <laughs> i appreciate every listener that we have but i want to give special shout outs to missouri thanks Illinois, missouri california let's see massachusetts yeah Texas. Texas. We have a lot of listeners in those states and all the other states, you know, but I just want, there's, I think everybody, everyone that's listening, it means a lot. Anytime we, we, get, we an get an email, state. anytime we get a message on Instagram, it, and, and any, anything that we get, it, it helps with the momentum. And know? we love the participation too in some of our uh, Instagram posts. Yeah. Um, we love your feedback. Um, whether it's about a movie that we're talking about on the podcast or just something that we're independently yeah. watching on our own. Because sometimes we don't, it's, we, we, we pick a movie and, or we're deciding on the movie and we don't know. Because I do like to, if it's, if I know, hey, this is a movie that I've asked five people and they're like, I don't really know that movie. Yeah. But then 
we make a post and like five people are like, yeah, that's like a staple of my childhood. So it gives us an idea of like where, you know, even things to talk about. People have sent us topics yeah. um, that we've been, you know, ended up like considering for topics to discuss for movies. So yeah. we love all kinds of communication. You can follow us on Instagram. Don't push pause podcast. Find us on Facebook. Don't push pause podcast. You can reach us directly through our website. Don't push pause podcast.com. And if you want to email us directly, you can email us at don't push pause podcast at gmail.com. So thank you so much. Any, everyone who's listening, participating, we can't thank you enough. Yeah. Uh, until next time, I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks. Thank you.